episode 25 of ICO 41, weekly in-depth analysis of all things blockchain. Welcome to ICO 41. My name is Owen Scott and I'm your podcast host. This podcast focuses on blockchain technology projects, initial coin offerings, and cryptocurrencies. It presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology and it attempts to walk that fine line between technology and business. What's a little different about this podcast is that when we do an analysis, we read the white papers thoroughly, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend time communicating directly with the team in question, and then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice, nor is any information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform, not to legally or financially advise. Before we get started, I want to announce a couple of subtle changes to the format of this show. First, we will make every effort to cover more topics or more than one ICO, than just one per week. For instance, this week, we'll be covering two very similar ICOs that deal with machine learning. The other slight change is that we will tend to focus less on upcoming unproven projects that are still in the sales and marketing phase, and more on projects that have already begun development. And I'll be honest with you, the main reason is that I'm just not interested, at least not in this podcast, of being a part of a marketing effort for upcoming ICOs. There are plenty of other podcasts that do just that. I'm much more interested in looking at actual projects that are under development. And if I do an occasional interview, I'd rather do one with a team leader or team leaders that are willing to talk after they've had their successful sale. Because if they're willing to talk after then it means that they really believe in their project. Another reason for this is that, as I mentioned last week, just about every project that you might have participated in last year is now accessible through a major discount, since the prices of almost all tokens have fallen dramatically since the ICOs were released last year. And even though Bitcoin is slowly making its way up again, I don't see that phenomenon changing anytime soon. So what we're going to do now is cherry pick those very interesting projects that seem to be in active development and have a strong, solid community still months after the token event has concluded. Now, because we're going to focus on those types of projects, we can spend less time covering detailed data points about the upcoming sale of the token and more time discussing the project status in its current form, as well as how those ideas that were expressed in the white papers are taking shape 
as well as any interesting findings that have appeared since the time of the sale or even before. And also, this podcast will shift to a slightly higher level treatment of topics. And if you're interested in very detailed and visual analysis of the same projects that we're discussing each week, sign up for our live companion webinar where I'll be using CryptoTrack software to perform a deeper and more thorough analysis, sharing my screen. This particular week, it's this Saturday, September 8th at 1 p.m. GMT. That's Greenwich Mean Time. To sign up, just visit ICO41.com, or you can also go directly to CryptoTrack.io. That's crypto with a K in the beginning and the end. K-R-Y-P-T-O-T-R-A-K dot I-O. Sign up, and we'll see you this Saturday. All right, so this week on the podcast, uh, we discussed two projects that completed their fundraising some time ago and which have already started development. And each of these two projects are aggressively pursuing blockchain uses of artificial intelligence more specifically, a component of AI, as it's called, known as machine learning. Now, before we dive into each project, we need to spend a little bit of time, like I usually do, discussing the topic of machine learning in some detail so you can fully appreciate what their ideas are. First, I'm going to ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear the words artificial intelligence or just AI? Well, maybe you think instantly of Siri or Alexa, or, or maybe you like films, so maybe you conjure up some Hollywood representations like Ex Machina with Alicia Vikander or Transcendence with Johnny Depp. Or maybe if you're a little older and you like to read some of the writings of Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov or any number of hundreds of other very interesting artificial intelligence fictional representations. Maybe you think of a future dystopian society where machines are essentially controlling our moment-to-moment reality. Now, all of those concepts are really just a narrow subset of the very wide range of ideas that are a part of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence contains a huge range of topics that have actually evolved over quite some time. And many of those topics have really nothing to do with sentient computers or robots controlling our reality. And one of those categories of AI is known as machine learning. And I personally believe that machine learning might be one of the more accessible branches of AI because it has some very strong roots in statistical analysis and some very, very ready business and scientific applications. In fact, as you learn a little bit more about machine learning, you'll see that human scientists have been performing for many years the very same types of analyses that machine learning uses. And it just so happens that if properly trained, machines can sometimes be much more efficient and much more capable of learning when they're presented with enormous amounts of data that humans could frankly never make sense of. So the tools and the process of machine learning are familiar, which is why I feel that machine learning is definitely somewhere to get started 
if you're interested in this overall topic. It's quite easy, actually, to get started. I'm going to do my best to interpret the fundamentals of machine learning so you have a foundation to understand why these projects that we're going to discuss this week are important. And for the purpose of this discussion, machine learning consists essentially of the use of a set of data which, through the clever application of an algorithm that's developed while working with that data, can achieve some level of prediction, predictive ability. And the best way for me to explain this is to actually walk through the process of how one conducts a machine learning experiment. And through this process, I think you'll better understand the concept of machine learning that if I just throw a bunch of lengthy sentences at you that are highly technical. And if you really do want to get started on this, by the way, you can head over to aischool.microsoft.com and you can sign up for some pretty amazing and free courses to learn some of these concepts firsthand. All right, so let's say that you have a set of data and that consists of some fairly basic health information for about, let's say, a thousand people. So the data points that you have collected are things like age, height, weight, body mass index, blood pressure, maybe cholesterol levels, and maybe you also have some behavioral data to go along with it, like what they're eating, specific daily diet information, for instance, the amount of exercise that these people are doing, the amount of alcohol and tobacco and maybe drugs that they take in each week, and their sodium intakes and things like that. And then at the far end of that set of data, you have actual diagnoses of diseases. Well, maybe one disease, maybe several. You've got maybe heart disease, yes or no. Cancer, yes or no. Stroke, yes or no. Now, what machine learning does is that it provides a platform and a way for you to feed that data into an algorithm of your own design along with the diagnostic results for a certain subset of those 1,000 records, let's say 700 of them. So you're the person who's designing this algorithm, and you choose various types of analyses and mathematical computations and actions against that set of data to allow the machine to learn something from that wide variety of data points and how they may correlate to the diagnoses that you know to be true. Now this technique of including the results, the actual diagnoses, is something called supervised machine learning. And that's because you're providing the result that you know to be true to help train the machine to understand how the results, the diagnoses, might be correlated with those other data points. So the next step is that once you've run the algorithm, your pet algorithm that you created against these, let's say 700 out of the thousand records, you can then test the algorithm by running it against the other 300 records in your set. But when you do that, you exclude the diagnoses, the actual diagnoses you to be, know to be true, and you, you ask, 
politely, the algorithm to predict those diagnoses based on all of that data for the 300. So that's to say, you essentially ask the algorithm what it thinks the status of heart disease, stroke, cancer might be for those 300 remaining people based on the data they're in. And then what you do as the final step is you compare the results of your machine learning algorithm that you created against the 300 actual diagnoses. And if the results are way off, there's probably something wrong with your algorithm. And you may need to tweak it and test it again. Now, I'm fairly certain that the actual data scientists who are listening to this are probably having little strokes of their own over the oversimplification of my explanation of this. But hey, honestly, that's pretty much what machine learning really is in a nutshell. So oh, if you're having a cocktail conversation, you can tell them that's what it is. Uh, there's some things you should understand. Training. Training is a big deal with machine learning. Algorithms have to be trained. Another example, maybe an easier example, to train an algorithm would be you write an algorithm that's attempting to classify photographs. Now, without a human standing over the shoulder of that algorithm and providing a certain baseline number of categorizations, the machine just wouldn't do a very good job. Just imagine you yourself training this algorithm and what you're doing, this is a baby algorithm, doesn't know anything about photos, is that you quickly mark the photos in your data, initial data set like animal, boat, building, plant, things like that. The more that you do that for this algorithm, the smarter the algorithm gets and the better it gets to be able to put together the patterns that indicate a dog over a cat, things like that. Now, once the algorithm is trained, and of course the more data that it uses, the better it could get, the amount of power and capacity that is unleashed through this is considerable. And the other thing you should know is that the more data you have for the algorithm to chew through, the better and the smarter it will get. That's something very important to understand in this discussion we're going to have. Good machine learning requires a lot of data. Now, those minuscule numbers that I was referring to a little while ago, 1,700, 300, you just have to think many, many times that amount for machine learning to be truly, truly effective. Now, you probably know this, but machine learning is a huge topic in technology these days. It's currently widely used and has been for some time in healthcare, the prediction of stock and futures markets, weather analysis, not to mention advertising and sales. So I hope this little discussion has helped you understand the fundamentals of machine learning before we get started. All right, so now on to the ICOs this week. They are... Synapse AI and Decentralized Machine Learning, otherwise known as DML. All right, so these two projects are very, very similar. The fundamental concept from a business perspective is just about identical. And that is essentially there's some real serious problems, inefficiencies, and inequalities 
about the current state of machine learning that have to be addressed. First, the data that is available for machine learning in any kind of decent size is actually in the hands of just a few very large and very powerful companies, namely the likes of Google, Facebook, Amazon, as well as a few other specialized actors like LexisNexis, Equifax, Thomson Reuters, Bloomberg, companies like that. So it's almost impossible for small businesses, which could very easily benefit from machine learning, to really participate in the current market because they don't have the data at their disposal. They just can't afford it. And secondly, much of the development of these machine learning algorithms that we just sort of described in a very simple way is locked up by those same corporations, or at least locked up by the corporations that can afford to obtain access to that big data, and also that can afford to pay the quite frankly, hefty prices of data scientists and machine learning algorithm developers. Next, the traditional data model of exchange between consumers and these huge data aggregators and owners is that in exchange for their data, consumers are rewarded with the applications that they like to use for free for the most part. Three best examples, Facebook, where people gladly supply that company with a staggering amount of personal information and their preferences in exchange for free use of that platform. And then you have Amazon. And Amazon trades what amounts to nearly instant gratification of almost anything purchasable for what billions of people want to buy, those preferences and what they actually buy. Just imagine the value of that data to a machine learning platform. And of course, you've got Google, can't forget them. They provide free email, free cloud storage, and other great services in exchange for the data in your email and in your cloud storage accounts. And by the way, those are just three. The fact is, actually, most large companies nowadays know the value of personal and raw human data. So just about everyone now is really all about the data. Now the problem with this is that beyond the convenience and the value of those platforms, which are certainly nice, the humans who are supplying this set of rich data are never compensated directly. And as you might imagine, both projects, Synapse AI and DML, hold the promise that the people with the data, that's you and I, can be compensated directly. And how? You guessed it, through the blockchain and with the respective project tokens. Now, lastly, there is an enormous amount of untapped raw data that the companies above just don't have access to. And that's because the data that they do have access to is obtained pretty much through the use of their platforms that they've constructed. But as both these two projects point out, there is an enormous wealth of raw data that is waiting to be parsed right on the mobile devices of around 4 billion people. 
Now, both of these projects tackle some of these problems that I've just mentioned through a marketplace where developers can create algorithms to provide for customers. And those customers could be small business, could be medium-sized, large business, order the results of the algorithms against this sea of potentially raw, untapped data, but carefully and thoroughly classified. And what I mean by that is that the algorithms are very specific against very specific sets of markets and other types of data. And the way this ecosystem works is that all the network participants are rewarded one way or another. The customers fuel the system by paying using the tokens for the results of these algorithms that they would otherwise not have access to. The developers are paid by the system through tokens because they sell their algorithms on the marketplace. And the data owners, the people who have the data on their cell phones, are rewarded for providing access to their data. Now, the main difference uh, in this regard between these two projects is that DML claims that no data will ever leave the device and that only the algorithm results will leave the device. So they're very much concerned with security. They even go as far as to mention what they call homomorphic data encryption. A few times, in fact, they mention this in order to help people feel a little more comfortable about running an app that mines your data, essentially. I'm personally a little skeptical about that. Um, this type of data encryption, homomorphic, it's been around for a while, uh, but it's kind of out of reach. Um, the main reason right now is that even with current advances, um, processing that type of encrypted data operates at several magnitudes slower than normal data processing. So I'm actually not sure that that's going to work out for them. Uh, Synapse AI, on the other hand, seems to suggest a little bit of a lack of detail, so I can't quite be sure that device data will be stored using IPFS, or in any case off-chain, for the algorithms to work on the data. That's a fairly significant uh, difference between the two projects. Uh, another fundamental difference is that DML has a component where the data owner has the option of earning extra tokens, not only for allowing the algos to actually run on their mobile data, but they can also choose to train the algorithm. And because of the importance of training machine learning algorithms, I think that that's a significant addition to the concept as well. Now, needless to say, both of these projects are extremely ambitious. The nature of machine learning itself is pretty complex. The stakes are very high mainly because the market capitalization of this vertical market known as machine learning itself is in the stratosphere. It's actually hard to get your hands around a solid predictive number, uh, but most estimates when they talk about the market cap in the near future of machine learning start in the billions of dollars in the next few years. And there are some estimates from respectable analyst companies that go much higher than that. And when they begin to discuss AI in general, uh, the word trillion is often mentioned. But in any case, uh, some people are very, very optimistic. Others are mildly optimistic. Still big numbers. Anyway, almost everybody agrees that that sector, 
especially machine learning, will be among the fastest growing market in the next few years. Very, very hot market right now. And at a high level, the teams behind these projects are similar. Both teams are very technical. There are some important differences, though. Synapse AI leadership is mostly American with some pretty strong roots in Silicon Valley. DML is based in Singapore with most of the leadership from Hong Kong. The core team of DML has more blockchain developers, but the Synapse AI team seems to have more full-stack developers. Both teams are pretty light on the business side, and that's especially true with DML. Now, with respect to the vision and the white papers, the vision, as I said, is almost identical. But the white papers are pretty different in certain respects. DML's white paper was 58 pages. It was very detailed with a lot of organization and some pretty substantial description. A little bit repetitive, but well-written, I will say, and detailed. Synapse AI's documentation actually consisted of two papers, a white paper and then a so-called yellow paper, which is much more technical. Both of those papers from Synapse AI together come in at 35 pages, so in general pretty light. It was explained that the technical yellow paper was written after feedback from the 19-page white paper, which was very, very high level. Now, I'm going to be able to provide a lot more detail when I do the visual version of this analysis using that CryptoTrack software later on this week. But for now, I'll say that of the two, the DML white paper was much more organized, much more thorough, much more detailed. Whereas the two papers for Synapse AI, by contrast, very light in detail and some inconsistent labeling for the diagrams uh, that went along with the description that weren't really together and didn't really refer to the diagram labeling very well. I actually found it kind of confusing. So very lightweight on the Snaps AI side. As for funding, uh, DML raised about $10 million about six months ago, and Synapse AI raised at least $7 million uh, just a couple of few months ago, possibly more than that. Details for Synapse AI with respect to the raise are a little bit harder to come by. We know that they raised $7 million. There was a press release that indicated that. In any case, both projects are relatively well-funded, but... Both projects are pretty slow going in terms of the actual status. This is some months later. The Telegram channels bear out a lot of interesting detail. And the DML channel has about 7,500 members. There's quite a lot of negative sentiment at the moment, mainly because the coin was released, the sale ended, and then the coin somehow managed to make its way onto coin market cap. But it's barely listed on an exchange, like one exchange, and it's, I don't know, maybe a weak exchange or something. In any case, the price of the coin has dropped to a fraction of a cent, or anyway, under a penny, down from 15 cents or thereabouts when the ICO was released. So you can imagine some of the negative sentiments from some of the people who invested in the project. The decentralized machine learning team doesn't communicate very often, only every few months. And in terms of status, they've missed most of the roadmap milestones. In fact, 
Just the other day, they issued a whole new set of milestones going forward, more detailed, pretty aggressive as well. Uh, there's not a lot of GitHub activity, uh, and so there were a number of people on the channel complaining about the lack of development. But it's pretty clear that there are people working on this project because there are a number of video demonstrations of the actual software. And I myself was able to log into the system. Um, and it's interesting, you, you actually can use the Brave browser or you can use MetaMask to get in, which is, I think, a very interesting way to authenticate. And I was able to view the marketplace. It's not completed by any means. In fact, even some of the interfaces in the marketplace uh, are different than some of the demos. So, you know, I think that the production uh, system is, it has a ways to go. Uh, the chief complaint on the channel, and besides this precipitous decline in the value of the token, is in fact the lack of communication. And the developers have a response. It's basically, hey, look, we're really busy, we're working, we're building, just read our periodic announcements. And honestly, I, I get that. I, I, I've myself have been on software projects, and I understand that developers don't really get much done when they're forced to interact with the public and turn their attention away from programming because, hey, you really got to focus when you're actually building complicated software. But I also see the point of the community. And I honestly, I think that the project would be way better served if the team communicated more, but they necessarily didn't have to do it themselves. If you look at the makeup of the team, you'll see that there's really no communications professionals on the core team. So I'm not too surprised by this lack of communication. Um, as people in Telegram have pointed out, with $10 million, it wouldn't be such a bad idea to hire that role out and put them out there on the Telegram channel. And that's a pretty valid criticism to be made. Uh, I would say, in fact, from my perspective after doing the research, I would say that the project would be much further along if immediately after the sale, they hired more people, more developers too, communications professionals, and so forth, to move things along a little quicker. Now, on the Synapse AI side, this Telegram channel has over 31,000 members. In fact, Synapse AI recently announced that they actually have over a half a million users on their network, which to me is a pretty staggering number, considering that they just released their wallet a few days ago. So obviously, there's not all wallet users, uh, but because you can sign up for an account on their website. So I, I presume that that's what they mean, 500,000 500, users there. So that's pretty amazing. Um, you can register your wallets on that site. And if you download the wallet, I downloaded and installed the Mac version very recently, you actually get an award of a small amount of tokens to get started on the network. I didn't get mine right away, but I chatted directly with the CEO on Telegram, and he made sure that I got the reward right away. So very communicative. Um, it's more res This team is more responsive on this channel, despite there being 31,000. But it is managed in a kind of an interesting way. It's muted very often. Uh, the admins kind of come in and come out. They, they unmute it. They answer some questions, and they bail, and, and, and then they mute again. And, and that's an interesting technique. You don't see that very often on, on Telegram. Um, but what it prevents is this huge amount of negative commentary that tend to pile up with frustrating, unanswered people. And that's probably the reason they do it. I mean, 
there's also not a lot for people to complain about. Um, the token hasn't been released in a way that allows it to be traded yet. So in a way, the Synapse AI project is under quite a bit less pressure uh, for those reasons. And it's a kind of an interesting uh, idea, idea of, of a way to manage the communications. Also, the communication style is very different. I, I, I like the way that the CEO of Synapse AI diffuses tension or, or wards off sort of complaints because when people express just a little bit of impatience, he says, well, if you need something to think about, just go to these links. And he puts links up to like Krishnamurti talks from the 80s and other esoteric philosophies, which is a style that I personally like because uh, I remember when my dad went to see Krishnamurti in, in, the, in, in 1980 in New York City or whenever. And so it's, it's uh, very interesting to see that from such a young, uh, such a young team and... Um, I also like the way that, you know, hey, like focus on perspective, you know, go and listen to Krishnamurti if you're feeling a little impatient. I just like that concept. Um, I will say uh, that when you read the papers of these projects and you absorb their vision, there is no other conclusion that you could possibly draw that these are very long-term projects. You have to think of it that way. Also, I think that it is important to thoroughly investigate and in a certain sense wait and see how these technologies can play out. Machine learning, distributed machine learning, is not something new because there's this concept of, of using multiple computers together to sort of pool their resources. I mean, the Gollum project is sort of uh, designed to be uh, a supercomputer that's uh, designed to aggregate the computing power from a lot of different devices. Uh, in the case of DML, with the data not leaving the device, what's interesting about that is you end up with this algorithm taking little bits of data off of one single device and then uploading the results to a node, an aggregator, that collects from multiple devices, presumably similar sets of results from similar sets of data. From a technical standpoint, this seems kind of tricky in a way, right? Because if you look at machine learning and the way that it actually works, you generally have a data set with the algorithm running against that data and what the so-called homomorphic data encryption is designed to do is to encrypt data in a way that makes it impossible to what you might call reverse engineer. In other words, if you get the results of a set of data that's homomorphically encrypted, you're not supposed to be able to recreate that data and reverse it through the algorithm. So if you think about that, that's kind of tricky, right? Because you're taking this set of data that's encrypted in a way, uh, somehow on the device, and you are using an encrypted algorithm as well. But the point is, is that you're, you're running your algorithm against that smaller set of data. You're not taking the data off the device to aggregate it, right? So you can't run the algorithm against the complete set of data. So we're looking at some pretty technical and tricky issues. On the Synapse AI side, they mentioned 
I think, taking the data off to IPFS. And if you take it to IPFS, that's a distributed um, way to store data. Um, if you do it that way, then the data can be aggregated and then the algorithms can run against that aggregated data. So there are some technologies here that need to be um, explored a little further. I may ask these very specific questions, uh, especially if, if I find out that people are very interested in this, uh, by all means, reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn anywhere you want. And if you want me to uh, investigate this a little bit further, I'm happy to do it because I'm interested myself. Um, but yeah, I'd like to ask those kinds of questions. So there are, you know, we need to uh, be have a healthy set of skepticism, even when we're looking at projects that are extremely attractive and extremely fascinating, if you can get them to work, <laughs> right? And therein lies the rub, and it's worth it to ask these serious questions and, and, and get those answers and just take at face value the promises that are made in a given white paper. White paper is designed to give us a great deal of um, information as to the vision and certainly some of the high-level technical ways that the system will work, but it's good to dive down underneath. The egalitarian aspects of these projects might be what attracts me personally most because I do think that uh, one of the great uses of blockchain is the ability for the blockchain to directly compensate people who were otherwise not compensated or companies that were otherwise not compensated through their interaction or, or uh, involvement in a particular network. So that attracts me a lot. Also, the market capitalization is very interesting when you consider the vast size of it. And if it's really true that there's more data unexposed than is currently exposed, which I think it is, I do think that there's a great deal of potential here. The devil, of course, is in the details, and um, I do think it's worth uh, following a project, no matter how tricky and difficult it is, if there are people actively working on it. What I would say to the people who are running the project is that more transparency is better. Uh, I like these projects that are actively welcoming developers to their GitHub. Uh, come on in, join, and I realize, again, you know, a lot of motivations for that for people. You can get a job with the project. You can just contribute to it to help your resume. You could be that you don't need money, that you're just going to contribute. There's a lot of different ways to actually uh, involve, become involved with these projects. Um, I would encourage people to get involved any way they can. Machine learning itself is fascinating. Uh, distributed machine learning is even more so. And when you couple it with blockchain, it can be very, very powerful. Even if we end up with something that is a shadow of what some of these promises are, it's still going to be significant. So that's about it this week. Um, if you want to join me again, uh, Saturday, 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, go ahead and sign up, ico41.com or cryptotrack.io. Take care and have a good week.